0: The death of Captain Marvel for me was traumatizing when I was a kid, when I read that graphic novel, because here's Captain Marvel and he doesn't make it out. And it's not, it wasn't a supervillain that takes him out and he didn't go out fighting. He wasn't punching his way with mega fists or whatever out of that battle.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. Usually, I like to start these off with a positive note or some sort of high or low about my writing progress and process. But today, my mind is completely on an old friend, Brett Lewis. Brett is an amazing writer and a great artist in his own right. And you probably know him from the Wintermen that he did with another friend of ours, John Paul Leon. Brett. Uh, I guess in 2009, was in an accident. He was hit by a vehicle um, as a pedestrian and suffered significant head trauma and has struggled with the after effects. but he uh, was hospitalized the other day. Fortunately, he is uh, recovering, but the uh, progress is going to be long and tough And I'll put a link in the description to a GoFundMe set up by another friend to help Brett. Please check it out. There's lots of outpour and support for Brett happening right now online, which is wonderful. And many people have stepped up, and this is great. But the more people who can help, the more opportunity Brett will have to get back on his feet. And uh, that's what we want. We want Brett to be back doing his thing. And I, um, you know, I don't think I'll be completely rested until that happens. So, yeah. And if you could do me a favor as well, um, beyond going to that, uh, GoFundMe, if you could recommend this podcast to other people, not only does that help the podcast, but it'll help get the word out. And the more people that can hear about this, can help. Really. Thank you. Please spread the word. This week's guest is Colin Bunn. I have a few criteria about who I go after to get on this podcast and do I really love what they do or do I want to understand, you know, why it is they do what they do. Colin Falls firmly in that second category for me, not that they have to be mutually exclusive, but he is all in, in the horror genre. And I am not a horror guy, never have been. It's just not my thing. So I'm fascinated with people who really are into things that I don't, you know, cotton to. So we kind of get into all that. You know, we talk about his Past works like The Damned and The Sixth Gun and a bunch of other things. And his current project, Copycat, uh, that's up on Zoop right now. You can order it. There'll be a link in the description, too. And then uh, future projects like Beyond Mortal. We really got into the odd turns and quirks that kind of change our pathways in life. And the process of writing and the, the hard work it is to build a career in whatever form of the arts you choose. This guy's been doing it for a while and he's, uh, he was really interesting to talk to. So this is me with Colin Bunn.
0: I've been playing the game for a long time now.
1: <laughs> when did you get your dice to play the game?
0: Uh, So it, to some degree, I've been, I've been doing that stuff for, you know, I guess closing in on seven, 16, 6 to 15 years ago, 16 years ago. I okay. mean, I've always been doing a little bit of that in the last few years. I've been doing a lot more of it. I mean, I'm doing, you know, there are weeks where all I'm doing is pitch meetings and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, it's, uh, so yeah, the last few years is when I really started, uh, Jump! I jumped in with both feet into that, or was thrown in uh, headfirst into it. <laughs> who, who? threw you? Oh, uh, you know, publishers will sometimes have me come in and say, "Okay, let's." We want you to pitch this, you know, pitch this as a TV show or pitch mm-hmm. this movie for us, or or one of my media representatives will say, "Hey, Cullen, they want you in on the room." in the room to pitch. And I was like, okay, uh, let's do that because my favorite thing in the world is to live pitch anything. Uh, and, yeah, and that's me being very sarcastic. I, I hate it. I hate live pitching. Yeah. Um, but I've been doing a lot of it. And then in the last few years, I, um, I started sort of a, an upstart production company with my friend Heath Modio and, uh, since then we've been doing a lot. I mean, we've done a lot of, a lot of pitches. Uh, Usually, you know, a lot of times the nice ones I'm just sitting and I'm sitting in while someone else pitches and then I answer the questions. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but at least a good 25 to 30% of the time I'm doing the pitching myself these days.
1: Yeah. I guess there's two sort of directions here. One, um, how do you see the difference when pitching, you know, comic project versus pitching something to non-comic people, like how are you envisioning it and framing it? Do you have a differentiation in your mind or do you, is it all the same for you?
0: It would be nice if it was all the same. Uh, Uh It's, it's not, it's, uh, um, first of all, you know, I, I I breathe rarefied air in that when I want to pitch a comic, I just email someone and say, Hey, here's a comic pitch. What do you think? Sure. And and that is a nice, a nice place to be. And those pitches can sometimes be a sentence, two sentences. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be a full, a full pitch document. So first of all, comics, pitching comics is easy for me. And, you know, at least it, where, you know, in, I've been doing this long enough. I've, I've built relationships with the editors um, so pitching the comics easy, uh, much easier than pitching a, you know, something like a TV show or a movie. Um, but I, you, know, you have to kind of look at it a little differently. I mean, I think a big mistake a lot of people make both ways is thinking that a comic book story is interchangeable with a television show or a movie because they are completely different beasts. and oh, there are they are, they're, they're completely different. They work differently. You can get away with the, you know, you get away with things in a comic you can't get away with in a TV show. You can dig much deeper into a store into story elements in a TV show than you can in comics. You can follow different paths. So I just don't even think of them the same anymore. And, uh, Mm -hmm. it's almost like pitching a completely new project. I mean, it's, uh it you know some of the stuff i've been pitching recently is i've i've worked on the comics for years but it's like something completely new when you get into pitching it as a tv show because it's going to work different it's going to it's going to evolve differently it's going to be presented differently and 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 that's fine they're not supposed to be and as far as i'm concerned they're not supposed to be the same thing
1: right um,
0: some people have pulled that off i guess you know with these perfect you know, frame by frame adaptations, but that's not the way I think I, I it's not made. To, they're not made to work that way.
1: No, no. And, and I, and I would, I would argue to say that the frame by frame adaptations, I mean, the person who created the actual original material wasn't envisioning this as anything more than what they were making, right. which was, you know, a book and this yeah. book, you know, cause it's funny, like you, you have to take these considerations into account like budget is this this thing that while comics aren 't free, the budget really doesn't vary, and you can put whatever you want on the page, provided you have the people who have the talent to do so, right but it doesn't really cost anymore you can You can have the greatest artists in the world draw two people sitting at a cafe having coffee, or draw the most insane thing that ever existed in Man, you know in mankind yeah and you know when you are you know when you're faced with this concept of like okay like you have to think like what do i do like so you know you know in telling you the story about doing you know a big event kind of thing for you know an international brand it's really not that much different you know you are you have to be cognizant of what can be achieved within the time the money (laughs) you know and the resources you have available and um it it's it's it can be frustrating because it's the the there are so many more cooks in the kitchen
0: yeah and but chef out you know when you're talking about media adaptations i mean there's a lot of money on the line they, yeah. you know they, they it's not you know there's a reason it's not easy to make these things happen they cost right. a fortune
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the, the people all involved i mean the amount of money that gets spent i mean listen If you are fortunate to have someone say, hey, we want to option a story from you, you know, and you you benefit well from that, that's that skin in the game already right off the bat. The people aren't I mean, yes, some companies will option to take something off the table if it competes like, you know, that we there are very large, you know, players who will do this kind of thing. But predominantly, it is people who are really looking to make something that can make them money or the or the attention that they want to garner in the said industry right right yeah
0: yeah it's a i mean it's it's an interesting i think it's a it's i think it's fascinating i think it's a fascinating world the the world of pitching in general whether it's to comics whatever is is fascinating i think it's a mm-hmm. i think some people are really good at it across the board right um, and uh I don't know that I'm good at it across the board. I don't love it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the, you, you got—I mean, you got—I mean, you got attention. I mean, it was—you know—was the damned sort of the first attention that you got when it came outside of the industry. When it, you know, with that,
0: yeah, the damned was the first thing that got uh, that got optioned way back when. So right. you know, that's—I was still working, you know, my day job when the damned got optioned back then. And, and it was, you know, it was an exciting, uh, intoxicating time (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's, you know, and it's been optioned a few times. It's, and you know, that dance keeps happening with the damned over and over (laughs) here. So, um,
1: there's this old comedy bit in advertising, that you know there's so advertising kind of works where you have an art director and a copywriter who work together as a team and they do the thing and they they make you know they make the ads for the companies but it's not typically just one team like they say hey we need to like you know win you know the account so they'll put many teams on the on the effort to try to come up with ideas to do this yeah. and someone said like said if you want to have a really great long career in advertising don't be the number one team, be the number two team because you're the one that like it's oh this is so great, but this other one just is that's the one we want to go with. That team then has to deal with the client, you know, in a in a horrible fashion for an ongoing period of time. You you get to go back to your office and, you know, and, and wait for the next pitch deck. Um, so, you know, so I guess in some way, the damned is sort of your number two. It just keeps, you know, it just keeps coming back and, you know, offering some really great, I you know, great opportunities for people.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I get why people, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, like the damned, I'm like, this is a, it's a note for me for me and my collaborators, we think about the damn, it's a no brainer. How come someone mm-hmm. hasn't made this yet? Um, and, uh, so, it, you know, the answer is it's expensive. <laughs> it's, right. it's, a very, it's a very expensive, uh, show to make or movie to make. And, and it's gotta be the right time. You know, that, that there's got it's, it's very much, um, like throwing a dart at a dartboard and you have to get one little section, but the dartboard's spinning, so you have mm-hmm. to throw it at exactly the right moment and it has to be the right dart and it has to, you know, it has to be thrown in the right way. So it's it's very uh it doesn't surprise me that it hasn't been made, but at the same time it's one of those such a no brainer. So it's such right. a no brainer for somebody.
1: It's you know, it it reminds me like all those sort of NASA things where they have to calculate the specific speed of the ship to get around the earth, to slingshot yeah. it to the, and, and if you don't make it, you're gone off in space forever. Like yeah. it's like, yeah. I yeah. It's, I, but like, so, I mean, getting that, cause like, I mean, a lot of people would, you know, I mean, I mean, I can't tell you and this, I mean, dude, this, I mean, I got in the comic business in 1991 and I went to art school in New York City with people all wanted to be comic book artists and writers or whatever they wanted to be. They wanted to all be hotshots in some fashion. And I couldn't tell you how many people kept you would run across these people going like, yeah, I, mean, I like doing comics, but I really want to be a director in film. I'm like, well, why aren't you going after that? Like, yeah, why yep, do you yep. think that someone's going to look at your comic book and say you should be a film director?
0: Yeah. Uh, don't do that. See, you know, yeah. there was, and there was a moment. There was a moment in comics, and maybe still is, um, where that's how you got into comics. Was go, go make a TV show or a movie, and then you could get hired to do comics, right? So, um, so that's fine. That seems a little I mean, okay. Well, ha- you know what? At the end of the day, though, who am I to say? Get in, ha- however you can break in, break in.
1: Sure. <laughs> I just I just feel it always put the energy toward the thing that you want to do versus all the other stuff to get.
0: I've, I've always. Yeah, I've always said that. But, you know, look, I guess it just depends on what you want to do. But t- I, I, I agree with you. If you want to make comics. Make comics. There's no yeah. there's not a. But, you know. if, If you're putting, you know, you're doing something. With another objective in mind, you're writing a comic, but really your eyes on a completely different target. Uh, it comes across. I think it comes across. I think you can see. I think you can tell.
1: Well, wasn't that the I mean, wasn't the case going, you know, in the context of the comic book movie for the longest period of time when people just didn't really love comic books or making them? You ended up with these you know, movies, but they didn't feel like a comic book sure. movie. And then you get the people who love comic books and you start getting the sense of like, oh, this is what it should feel like. And I'm not even talking specifically, you know, the sort of the Marvel revolution, you know, starting with Iron Man. There, there are a handful of independents before that where really had that comic book feel. And you're like, yeah, you guys got this idea.
0: Yeah. Well, they felt like the sort. Yeah, they definitely felt like the source material, too. I mean, there were, uh, the, some of those indies were real, mm-hmm. were really well done and felt like you were flipping the page on those books. So.
1: Yeah, totally. So what was the, what was the day job before you said, that's it?
0: So, uh, I was working in marketing when I was a VP of marketing for a company, uh, when I went full time and before I'd been with that company for 15, 16 years doing various jobs, uh, unlike pitching where I'm not I don't feel I'm good at pitching I was really good at conning my way into positions that I had no right to be in and uh you know I was a fake it till you make it and don't bother making it kind of guy I mean it was right. you know, I I ran IT departments for the the IT department for the company you know how little I know about IT I am I even then I was like an old grandpa I was like how do you make mm-hmm. this work I don't get it but uh Yeah. So I ran it and I ran, I was a career consultant for a time. And then, uh, and then I went into marketing for that company and I did marketing for several years there. And, uh, until the moment I decided, Hey, I got to take a chance on something. I, I'd waited too, in my opinion, I waited too long to take the chance, uh, of actually trying to do comics. I struck when I struck when, I needed to. The iron was hot, but it took me too long to heat that iron up. And I don't know if that's any fault. Some of it's fault of my own, probably. Um, but also, it was just the timing of it. It's just how things worked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the, the shoulda, woulda, coulda thing is a is a natural kind of response in so many ways. Um, I mean, fortunately you have been so busy to be distracted from that circle, which I'm sure it comes back and loops over here and there, you know, you it's, go, it's uh, ever
0: present. It's ever. Yeah, pre- yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's so strange because, you know, like I said, that's, that's part and parcel with the, the imposter syndrome, you know, like it's just one of these things where you have all this whole sort of deck of cards of things that can just be played and you know played for yourself. You're playing solitaire with this deck of cards all the time. Right. You know, well, yeah. so, so, I mean, I mean, I know that you, I think you've said you had a creative writing degree. Like what was your, what was your mindset of like, Hey, I'm going, I'm, I'm on university. I'm going to get a degree. It's going to be creative writing and I'm going to.
0: So I always wanted to be a writer. I knew I wanted to write. I knew I okay. wanted to do that as a, for a living. Um, and I remember talking to my counselor, like the first couple of weeks of college, I was talking to my, you know, my guided, the, not guided, I don't know what they are, the counselor. And, uh, <clears throat> and I told him, he, he asked me, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I, I really want to be a writer. And he's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that that's a good idea. And I'm like, well, that's what I want to do. And then he, we talked about, he said, well, the creative writing degree, you you could go in a lot of directions. And, and I really pondered all of these things. I mean, I, um, you know, there was a moment I was, I was on a teaching path. There was a moment where I was uh, advertising and marketing path. There was, you know, there's a moment where I was like, well, I'm just going to get my, you know, my MFA and and I'll teach college level and things like that. It was always, you know, these things I was I was pursuing in different directions. So I I went into creative writing with the, or journalism. That was a, an option. Mm -hmm. So I went into creative writing with this idea that I could use it for different, different paths if I wanted to. Um, And then I just couldn't afford college anymore. After I got my degree, I couldn't afford an advanced degree. So I was like, well, I'm just going to get a job somewhere. So I got a job at a comic book store uh for a while and uh and then I got a job at this company where I talked them into letting me offer career advice to other people for a while <laughs> <laughs> So you're a uh,
1: part-time so, psych- psychologist, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, you know. Um But yeah, I I just uh you know, and the interesting thing about the 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 degree I, I feel like I was a decent writer when I entered that, you know, when I started doing creative writing. And it was nice to have these teachers and these people who were focused on that, who were who were giving me great feedback, and it was nice to do the round tables where people are kind you know, giving you feedback on your work. Um but it was for me it was more important than it was I was learning how to turn stories in on time. Mm-hmm. I was, okay, I have to turn this story in by this date or I get dinged on my grade so mm-hmm. I was writing the deadline because so it was nice to learn that um, and then to, uh, you know having that job for 16 years where we're working with that company for 16 years later you know after um, it, that taught you how, that taught me how to work I mean mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of folks who get into get into a creative field and they're lucky enough to get into that creative field very early. Yeah. And then they don't know how to work. And that's an element of it that, you you know,
1: I'm going to throw myself right in, in that one right there. I, I mean, I got, I got hired right out of the box. I went, you know, I graduated within a month. I got my first gig at Marvel and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, Oh, this is it. This is easy. <laughs> and, um, you know, but the thing was, is that story wasn't even written. They're like, yeah, it's for it's for a comic book that's going to happen at the end of the year. So I didn't. There was no script. And I had no idea what to do at that point. I had been hustling, you know, for two years while I was in school to get work. And then the opportunity happened. But like everyone was just going to wait until I did that job because they're like, well, like let him take the risk on you. So I was just spinning and it took it it took a a lot of doubling down and figuring out how to kind of get out of that at that space but i did struggle i struggled for a long time that whole like how to like show up do the thing and then call it a day
0: yeah i think a lot of people do and you just you Mm -hmm. have to learn it you know i as far as comics goes i don't feel like i ever had to learn that in comics you know i'd already learned it doing something else yeah Uh, but i do think had I gone into comics, say right out right out of college somehow, <laughs> I don't know how that would have even happened, but it, you know had I done that, it would have been a rude awakening, I think for me and and it would have yeah. it would have been it would have been a uh, a shocking experience
1: yeah, and I mean also to that point, dude, it's like you said earlier about the writing thing when you're in school, you're like it could be journalism, it could be advertising, it could be all these different avenues. And for me, I had spent four years becoming a comic book artist in my mind. And so I didn't have this sort of like, well, I'll also go get editorial spots or whatever the thing was. I had no angle on that stuff. I had no concept of it. I mean, when people would go like, hey, so-and-so needs needs a thing drawn, you go, oh, oh, okay, I can do that. And then you would do it. And then it was just a matter of like discovering over time you could do more than one thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the comic shop employment, the brief and comic shop employment, indicates that comic books were always sort of part of the plan in your heart.
0: I always loved comics since I was a you know since I was a kid. I mean it yeah. was it, so it was I and, and there was a you know a while where I was I was an I was a relatively talented artist in middle school and early high school, and I stopped pursuing it, and I feel My. like so. I, I don't know. I don't know. I can. Well, I do know. Um, I used to carry around this giant um, folder full of drawings. I mean, I was all—I was the kid who was always drawing, and I carried around this giant folder full of drawings, um, monsters and creatures and heroes and comic pages and all these different things. Years of work. And it was, you know, it was my pride and joy. This thing was rubber band together. You know, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was that thick. And uh, at gym class one day, somebody stole it. And I was done. I was out. I was like, nope, I'm done with that. I don't, uh, I don't have, I I just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rebuild that. Um, And uh, I think that, I mean, I really do think that's why I stopped doing anything and I stopped progressing. I can still draw almost as well as I can draw. I, I could draw.
1: Back in then. early
0: high, in 10th grade, yeah. you know, ninth or 10th grade. Um, but I'm, I'm no better. Um, but I always wanted to tell stories. That never went away. Um, so, and I didn't care how I did it. I didn't care if it was short stories, novels, screenplays, plays, poetry, comic books. It was all stuff I wanted. You know, I was into, you know, role playing games, any of it. I didn't mm-hmm. care as long as it was uh, me being able to tell a story in some way. So, so yeah, the comic shop was just, uh, you know, I, I'd actually, I was working at a bookstore and then found out the comic shop was hiring and I went and, you know, applied there for first as like a product manager who would order material in for the stores and keep the store stocked. And then, uh, they hired me as a manager of one of the shops. Um, so yeah, I I mean I was always into comics. With the no. with the prerequisite uh moment where you just you get out of it and you're not into it. Yeah. I still wish I had those drawings. I'd love to I'd love to find that folder again.
1: I have this I had this vision since you you mentioned that as like the the kid who stole it like was just playing a practical joke and just kind of hit it in a, in a place somewhere in the locker room, like like, destroyed it. And it's still (laughs) there, just covered in cobwebs and dust after, you know, 30 years.
0: That would be a, that would be an interesting, uh, it would be interesting. Uh, Yeah.
1: Maybe Nicolas Cage can star as you in this story and go back and find it.
0: Yes, I'm into it. I'm going to pitch that next. It's the next that's, pitch. Tonight. I
1: think that's an appropriate.
0: It's national treasure, but in a podunk junior high or high school looking mm-hmm. for a, a national
1: lampoon treasure.
0: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I, I don't want to leave the uh, the pitching thing too far behind in a sec, but do you, like, I'm just curious, like what the, um, Like on your end, like what assets are provided to you in the terms of like, hey, we want to pitch. Is there a budget? Do they do you have to, like, produce things for the pitch or is this all verbal?
0: So we're talking non-comics like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Sometimes you can produce things, you know, oftentimes if we're pitching an adaptation, the comic becomes sort of a. Sort of a tool in that like an
1: animatic kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Um, but we use, you know, we usually put together uh pitch decks, So, you know, like a PowerPoint presentation mm-hmm. that'll have different images. Sometimes it's with a comic, it's nice because you can pull the comic in. You can pull images from the book and, you know, show what they look like. And maybe you pull images that are real world images that you compare to the comic to show what it would look like on a live action TV show or something. You might pull in images of actors that you could envision playing these different characters and things like that. So, I mean, these pitch decks can be really, really elaborate. I mean, they they can be really, they're fun to look at. You know, I I love getting uh, pitch decks from like TV shows that I like now and seeing Mm -hmm. what the, you know, how they pitched it, how it's different, what they, you know, what they presented it as and, and things like that. And, you know, there's no set format. They're all different. Everyone I've looked at is very different from yeah. Every everyone is different from the last.
1: Yeah, I, love, I I I too like working with companies and getting my hands on their pitch decks as well because I like to see how people are framing sort of the mm-hmm. you know the the question and the you know and the solution. And often I find that it's so much more beneficial to be really really concise in the, in these things, often you see these decks and it's just so much stuff and you go, what am I focusing on?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I've seen some that, you know, that just have pages of text on the, on the screen. like, don't do that. Ne- Why would we do that? No one's reading that. No <laughs> one can be, a, a simple picture is so much better because someone's talking. Someone's, you know, these pitch decks are going on screen, you know, if it's a zoom or whatever, Right, when someone someone is talking while you're looking at this. Thing.
1: Right, don't don't type the script on the, uh, on, right. the on the pages. Right. Don't do that.
0: <laughs> no one likes
1: that. No, no, no. Um, so, I, I thought about you, like in the sense that you know you have this sort of, you know, your vibe is the horror vibe. Let's just throw it out there. I and mean, even though you know, even though you've done so much stuff that's not horror, um, I I really think it's kind of interesting because, you know, I I can remember the first comic books I got, I got, I think this is like 1972, 73. So like a long, long time ago. And my dad brought home one of those three packs, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever went back to a distributor, got repackaged into these things. And one was baby snoots, I think from Dell comics, which is like a, you know, anthropomorphized baby elephant. And it's, like mouse friend. Um, and I'm sure that was what was on the outside. My dad's like, that'll be good for the kid. And then like on the other side was like an Atlas comics adventure thing of some sort of flying superhero kind of character. And on the inside was like Marvel's like dead at night or something. And it was like a Jack the Ripper esque kind of cover of this woman walking on a, you know, an Edwardian lamplit street and a guy with a long, dagger you know in the foreground in the shadows and that comic scared the shit out of me at you know five four or five years old however old i I was and needless to say i did not grow up a big fan of horror in that respect (laughs) (laughs) and there's many other events that happen in between and you know but in the next intervening three or four years leading up to the uh release of jaws, which kind of took me off that, that table. So why horror? Um,
0: you know, to some degree, the easy answer is I just like it, right. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's what I like. It's the kind of stories I like to, to, to read or watch or, or whatever. I, I just like horror. I like being scared. I like the, I like the, the feel of it. Um, and I feel like I'm decent. I'm, I'm pretty good at writing them. But the other answer is, uh, there's a couple other reasons. You know, I also feel like horror is kind of a hopeful genre for me. Even, uh, I, I need this sensation that, uh, even in the face of these awful things, these characters are fighting to survive. The, even they may not, they may not make it, but they tried. And I love that feeling of characters trying to make it, even in the face of overwhelming adversity. And then, you know, the other answer is, writing horror stories for me is my way of coping with this existential dread I feel every second of every day. I live in a state of fear. And writing horror stories helps me cope with these various fears. Um, you know, it's, it's very sobering when I think about how little, and this is where a lot of horror comes from in general, how little I matter in the world. Most people, most people, and and it seems like people more and more are start, you know, live under this illusion that they matter. Mm -hmm. And the truth of it is they don't, none of us do, we don't matter. And what's more, yes, no joke. And what's more, the world does not care about you. Right. And, you know, and we all deal with that. We all feel that way sometimes. And and, you know, these writing these horror stories helps me cope with that concept. It helps me uh, cope with just all the many things I'm afraid of in in the world. Uh, It's something about it's sort of a a confrontation uh, for me to to do these things or to tell these stories
1: so kind of like facing your own fear by generating it and saying okay i'm i'm going to i'm going to somehow develop some agency for however brief it will be right in, in this context
0: yeah i feel like that's what it's about i mean it, yeah it's fun it's uh entertaining but also it's a it's you know it's therapeutic for me in some way
1: mhm I remember when I worked at, I worked at this company and I had, you know, it you know, I was integral to the team that needed to do the things that it needed to do. And it was very, it's very big, well-known company. And I remember one day going and just looking at the volume of work I had to do. And it was just more was always going to be coming. And I go, it doesn't matter. Like I could get hit by the bus And it doesn't matter because this stuff all has to be done in the eye of the business. So they would just get some they would get this work done however it needed to get done. And that's when I developed the hit by the bus theory, which could be applied to, as you said, everybody in the world in that respect.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, So maybe maybe they should need to read a few more horror stories and people won't be so self-absorbed, self-important.
1: I mean, so for the existential dread, I mean, like, where do you where do you form that the source of that for you? I mean, I understand existentialism and I understand that it's not exactly a specific thing, but it's not this sort of like amorphous thing in the terms of like you can go like i'm always worried about planes falling out of the sky like that if that's your yeah, fear i am i am fear. worried about that mostly I, if you're in the plane right
0: yeah i'm i'm worried that i don't like that i wish you hadn't said it i'm having nightmares tonight about <laughs> don't worry
1: we're not in a plane right now colin we're yeah. on the ground yeah
0: but what if one falls on my house there's what the, if um i uh i don't know i really i mean look so you'll say, I mean, when I was a kid, I was always afraid. I have some horrifying illness, you know. It was, I mean, as a young kid, I was like, "Well, you know, my lips are chapped. That must mean I'm gonna <laughs> die of something." And that's, you know, and that's, you know uh, it's it's just a, and yet, and despite that, my friends and I, we were always the kids who were out doing the stuff we shouldn't be doing i mean we were always the ones going places we shouldn't be going taunting the people we shouldn't be taunting you know it was it was always us doing nonsense and doing stupid things that would get us that in many cases probably should have gotten us killed Um, right
1: if not punched in the face
0: yeah for sure for Mm -hmm. sure But you know what? I remember, you know, I remember all these doing these dumb things and thinking, man, that was fun. I remember remember going out on Halloween night one time with like a group of like 10 friends. And one of my friends, this car drove by and my friend yelled something at him, yelled some insult. And that (laughs) car chased us all night long. I I mean, every, everywhere we went, that car was there and it would speed around the corners and it would, you know, and maybe, you know, probably they were just messing with us. Sure. What if they weren't, you know, and we were scattering and going off in little groups (laughs) and thinking to ourselves, we're going to get killed tonight. And we had a blast.
1: Yeah. (laughs) How old were you? How old were you at the time?
0: I'm thinking, let me, I have to think of which friends I was hanging out with. I would have been in sixth grade. Okay. So, How old that was.
1: All right. So that's like 11 ish.
0: Yeah. Maybe somewhere around there. It was the most fun. we. It was, it's the most fun I ever had on Halloween was getting chased and potentially murdered by people in a black car. That we they
1: were was. probably 17 year old kids, oh, you, it, know, it, and, you know, and you're probably are, worried that you, you hit, hit the car with a, with a, you know, an egg or something, who knows?
0: Chances are they were just messing with us, but it yeah. was, Oh yeah. It was delightfully terrifying. Sure. Uh, and that, you know, in that moment I wasn't, I was, you know, it was fun. It was scary. You don't want to get caught, but okay. If you do, you figure your way out of it. Uh, right. So that's not the stuff that scares me. It's a bigger, it's a bigger picture. It's like, I, I live with this thought that there's always something bad. Um,
1: something bad could happen
0: right around the corner not could not or will could. happen there's something bad about to happen and uh, and i don't know when and uh, it just it's just that's a that's a constant for me
1: and this has been since you were a kid or is this something that's evolved
0: it's evolved cuz there was a moment i remember you know there was a time in my life where i couldn't care less about anything like nothing fazed me you know nothing the potential of disaster didn't bother me it it came in my you know maybe mid-20s or something the the, i don't know where why it decided to to surface the way it does but uh at this point i've dealt with it long enough it's a yeah it's a companion i know what it is i know what (laughs) i know what's going on i I know what's going on up here i know it's good
1: I was going to make a joke that it started in your sophomore year of high school and someone stole all your dreams in a, in a folder, but
0: maybe, maybe so. No, it didn't. It was later than that. It was, I
1: know, but I mean, that's the, that's the doom that's hanging around the corner. was that kid just waiting for you to, you know, go into the locker room bathroom or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, but these kinds of things are, you know, fragmentary, you know, creations of our mind. You know sure. we we can we can look back and we can be f- completely honest about that outside of the event happening you know because right. when you're in the middle of something it's real hard to differentiate it and, and you know and go wait a minute fears and emotion emotions can be controlled like you, you you can do that but it's that takes a lot of training to do that but I think what's interesting is that that's also a wellspring right
0: mm-hmm.
1: like for someone who writes Horror stories. Well, it's it, it's you know creating the thing that is scare that the scary sort of con, conceit, and then you can take this sort of this seed and then grow into something bigger.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff's idea. It's it's all uh, as I would put. You know, as I, it's all nightmare fuel. So. All right.
1: Well, th- I mean, but how long did it take you to recognize that and actually utilize it versus not be happy about it?
0: You know, I started writing horror stories when I was 18 or 19 years old. I don't know that I recognized that I was trying to draw on that stuff and, mm-hmm. and use that. I was I want to write a scary story. You know, right. it was, uh, because, you know, for a while, I always liked horror, liked horror stories, horror movies. And then there was a a brief moment where I decided I was going to go into special effects makeup. Mm. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a special effects makeup artist. And and I got really into that. Even that, like it was like doubling down on horror because that's what I want to do. It was like, you know, Tom Savini, you know, mm hmm. I I wanted to, I was reading Fangoria, I was devouring Fangoria magazine and then they'd review some horror novel and I'm like, well, I really got to read that because it sounded awesome. And, uh, and that just kind of fueled this interest in horror fiction, I guess. Um, And, uh, and yeah, so I started just writing, you know, I was writing, I was writing and submitting horror short stories, 18 or 19 years old. That's what I, you know, set out to uh, writing, you know, these stories and submitting them. Um, but it, you know, I don't know. And even, even now I'll come, I'll sit down and I'll write an idea out, you know, I'll, I'll start scripting some idea for some new comic. It's, it, I don't usually sit down and say, I'm going to write a story dealing with my fear of planes falling out of the sky. It's mm-hmm. just, I'm going to write a story. I think is going to be entertaining. Those things will flow into it instant without mine. I don't need to make those things enter the story. It's going to be in there. These right. these things that I'm scared of will, will manifest.
1: Okay. I just, you just reminded me of something of, uh, that I thought of when you were talking earlier, you know, about people, you know, fighting for their lives. And I was thinking, you know, I'm thinking about like, my current my current book series that i'm writing and i thought it's not horror but these people are fighting for their lives like you know it, you know an action adventure story in many ways are people fighting for their lives sure because they're trying to stop the thing you know if you, if you you know using the avengers movie as an example you know like all these things are coming to kill the world, they ha- they have to fight to stop it, and I'm trying and, to like define like well, what's and, the difference. Well,
0: and there are horror elements in all of those those stories. I mean, a guy, a big purple guy who could snap his fingers and create <laughs> and just you know turn half the universe's population to ash, is a pretty horrific thought when you you know yeah. when you think about it, right? Um, that's existential driving. Mean, that's it. Totally it. You're, is. You're, you're it gone.
1: totally is
0: for me, where I, you know, and this isn't, this isn't a a hard, this isn't a, like a cemented rule because it depends on the story. Right. Um, In a lot of cases, it's this sense of helplessness or or would be helplessness in the face of it. For me, Mm -hmm. a great, you know, my favorite horror stories are not, not a super soldier who's been given a serum that makes him as strong, you know, the strongest human alive facing these things. It's, the milkman who right. pulls up to the to the wrong house and then has mm-hmm. to deal with whatever comes spilling out. You know, by the
1: way, the next Jason Jason Statham movie will be called The Milkman. The Milkman.
0: Well he's got what the Beekeeper. The Beekeeper now. He has right?
1: a different, yeah. well, there's another one too, the uh, the mechanic. He's got the mechanic, yeah, the mechanic, beekeeper, they'll have beekeeper. the milkman. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll just keep it going.
0: I like, you know and that's not to say I don't like horse, you know, I, I love stories with larger than life heroes heroes that are you know when when you know when captain america in that in that freaking movie when that bus or train or whatever goes by and there's captain america standing there and the music starts up i have no doubt captain america is going to save the day yeah you know, sure. even at the end of that first of the the final two big avenger movies which ends on a super dark moment I'm like captain america is going to save the day He's, I mean, it's it's all right. Don't worry. I know that. I -hmm. don't know it when it's a real horror movie. I don't know it. Right. Um, When, even when there's a larger than life here, I was just thinking of the movie Pitch Black recently and Vin Diesel's Mm -hmm. character Riddick. He's complete badass. You know, he can. but you don't know, I don't know that he's going to make it off that planet because he was under such overwhelming odds. And uh, and that's, to me, there's the, there's the difference. When I read a typical horror, uh, superhero story, I know they're going to make it out. That's, you know, the death of Captain Marvel for me was traumatizing when I was a kid, when I read that graphic novel yeah, yeah, yeah. because here's Captain Marvel and he doesn't make it out. Right. And it's not, it wasn't a super, I mean, it wasn't a super villain that takes him out. I mean, technically maybe, but
1: Sure, but that's sort of not a second-order effect. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was
0: not a supervillain that took him out. And he didn't go out fighting. I mean, fighting, yes, but not, not you know, he, he wasn't punching his way with mega fists or whatever out of that mm-hmm. battle. Um, and that was traumatizing for me. Um, and, oh, uh, me too. Know, uh, I think about, you know, other superhero comics, like uh, New Mutants 18, number uh which was the first of the demon bear saga
1: mm-hmm.
0: opens with this great scene of charles xavier coming out to like a mob of policemen that are standing outside his the the mansion and he says listen everyone everyone calm down we can talk our way out of this or whatever and boom he gets blasted with a shotgun and thrown back his chest <laughs> just spilling everywhere and i remember reading that as a kid being It's like, I don't know what's going to happen in this comic anymore. I no longer know because I had never seen that happen in a comic, a superhero comic. I was like, I don't know what's about to happen in this book. And I was terrified for those Mm -hmm. issues because I was like, I don't know if these characters that I've loved for 18 issues of this comic series are going to survive and I, what all I did know was they wouldn't survive unchanged. I was like, this is going to change everything.
1: It and, was a masterstroke on Chris's half to change this teenage, you know, X-Men comic book into a things count horror yeah. story for a while. And it was so, I mean, and, you know, I guess... Uh, yeah. I mean, and I don't think it could have been done without Bill's artwork.
0: No, no. The artwork, the artwork changed the tone instantly. Because Completely. It was, such, it was such a departure from the art of the previous issue. Right. And then you're immediately you're like, what, what is this and what's happened? What, yeah. <laughs> why am I in this world all of a sudden?
1: Totally. Um, it's like, it's like that, that X-Men issue that Barry Smith illustrated the one with, um, Katie Power and Wolverine.
0: Oh yeah, is that the the cover has Wolverine getting ready to stab a one of the Power Pack kids? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's one of these things where you wouldn't, you know, you know why why are we having a Power Pack kid in a suit in an X Men comic book? And I think if the regular monthly artist drew it, it wouldn't have the same sort of fearful impact that you know, Windsor Smith applied to the, to that story. And, um, well, of course yeah. comics, right. This is what makes yeah. them so freaking so cool, but at, at, well, the, yeah, at early but, ages.
0: Yeah. And so to, you know, to your point, you could tell horror stories within these, you know, these action stories, there are mm-hmm. moments in action movies that I find horror- horrific. Um, so it's difficult to find. I don't know if it's, it's, you know, uh, I don't know if it's art, but I like it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's horror, but I, I know it when I see it, you know, I can't necessarily define it. It's, yeah. Uh, but-
1: yeah, I think there's a, I mean, I guess there's a sort of a generic sensibility of horror, you know, whether it's this sort of mystic entity of some sort that is causing some sort of terrifying situation yeah. Or it's some supercharged, unstoppable thing, person, whatever, that's going to kill everybody. That that might be the sort of the big label areas. But then you can really kind of blend a whole lot of, yeah. you know, story and genre together.
0: Yeah, I I feel like almost everything I've done, even in superhero books, I always have some sort of small horror, horror element to it. Yeah, you know, I, I did. uh you know, Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. Marvel came to me and said, Hey, Cullen, we want to do a book called Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. I was like, that's great. Can I do it? And Deadpool is really freaking scary. He's, you know, <laughs> I want to do something that's a little uncomfortable. What he's, you know, and how he does it. And they, you know, they said, yeah. And, and to me, Deadpool kills the horror, the Marvel universe is a horror book. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got goofy Deadpool stuff in it from time to time, but it's also, you know, it's pretty freaking dark. It's a, it's a Magneto. I pitched that as a, what if Magneto was a slasher? What is if he's a, he, he's a serial, you know, let's play Magneto as this, at least in the eye of the public as this sort of slasher that hasn't been caught yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the way I wanted them. That's how I started the Magneto series is he was this, People were talking about him, and he was this large, this figure that need you know it's killing people. Needs you got to stop him, but you can't.
1: Right, right. I think that's what's cool. That's what's. I mean, to me, what makes for great comic books is not ongoing continuity, but stories. Yeah, and stories don't have to just kind of drag on forever. I think a story, just let them be stories, and you know. I get the continuity thing to a degree, but let's not. But let's not. Let's not just keep a thing going yeah. just for that fact.
0: It, you know, as a kid, I loved it. You know, as a sure. younger reader, I was Cause like, because you felt I like
1: you were a, part of something.
0: Yeah, I wa- I wanted it. I wanted that bigger, bigger world, bigger universe. And Chris Claremont again. You know, he was a master at making that world. Agreed. You know, within the X Men or whatever. But it's become less. You know. I couldn't tell you what happens in yeah. major comic book universe continuity anymore. It's 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 a, I,
1: I listen. I'm terrible at keeping up with any of it. And It's yeah. it's, it's 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 you know. I said the Duncan Fredo. I was like, I bought the three issues of his giant robot Hellboy, and I'm like, that is a that that is the first time I bought three comic book issues in a row, and I can't remember how long. Right, because I just I just have such a hard time keeping. Oh, I got to go back to the comic shop. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I didn't even remember what I bought. Like, I don't know right. what I'm supposed to look for. So it it, it becomes an impossibility for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about like, you know, you know, mixing things in the question marks and all that kind of stuff. And like, so you have this upcoming book for Zoop, Copycat. Yes. And I read the preview and it's interesting. It's interesting because you, it's a big question mark that, that preview, you know, of her at work and then, you know, on her way home. Um, it's, it's, it's a big thing. And like, I can see how you could have that terror because there is a lot of scary stuff in there and that little, in yes. that little.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, copycats, one of those books, I would call it, uh, this is where I call, I call a lot of things. It's horror adjacent. There are horror elements in it. Right. Um, but it's really, uh, it's a, it, it's a hard sort of genre to pin down because it has superhero elements it uh you know but that's not what it's not a superhero universe where people are you know putting on their spandex in the the phone booth there you know it's it's about a an er nurse who has a unique ability to diagnose illnesses or you know ailments by touching someone but when she does that, she takes on like some of the pain and some of right. the, uh So it, it's a, it's a, it's an ability with a cost. And uh, as the story unfolds, she runs into uh, another person. And when she, t- who's been injured, who's dying. And when she touches him, she not only absorbs some of the pain, but she absorbs this person's a very good fighter and she absorbs some of that fighting ability. So in a little mm-hmm. bit, it's like rogue from the X-Men, yep. right?
1: Yep. If rogue from long shot. Then,
0: yeah yeah or yeah uh long shot psycho psychometric powers or whatever Mm -hmm. uh if those characters had a real world very important job of being an er nurse and uh what are you saying
1: superheroes are are an important job
0: i'm just saying that that sarah in copycat was in the the thing that that appealed to me about about the book was we were telling the story of a, a person who's it's a pretty grounded story and Sarah is a pretty grounded character. She has this one unique ability that makes her different and gets her into trouble. But, you know, we're introducing this different world and, and yes, there are characters with abilities. I don't, I don't like the word superpowers when it's tra- when we're talking about copycat because it doesn't fit into the, into that world. Right. Uh, but it's a copycat really is a mystery. It's a, it's an action mystery just happens to have a little bit of superpower. It's a or, scary
1: action or, or, mystery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, and it builds, and it's, uh, I think, uh, like I said, the, the thing I like most about Copycat is I just like that she's sort of a real world character, despite the special mm-hmm. ability she has.
1: Where did the idea of this one come for you?
0: So, um, my, uh, my partner, uh, mentioned earlier, my production partner, uh, Heath Imodio, uh got in contact with uh, with Todd Garner, who has been involved in the new Mortal Kombat movie and Tag and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And Heath was just a fan. And he reached out and said, hey, have you ever <laughs> – Heath has Heath's unique ability is that he'll just reach out to people and talk to them. He doesn't care. He doesn't mm-hmm. – and, and I guess what really makes it easy, unique is that these people respond to him and actually have conversations. Um, so he started to talk to Todd Garner, and he, just, he asked him, he said, hey, have you, have you ever thought of doing, doing comics? Uh, Cullen Bunn and I do some comic stuff sometimes. And Todd said, yeah, I have this idea that I think would work in comic book form. And he sent us a few paragraphs describing it. It was, it was not called copycat at the, at the time it was called something else, but he sent like just a few quick paragraphs of what he had in mind. And, and the gist of it was ER nurse who could touch someone and diagnose their abilities gets into trouble. That's, I mean, that's so we got that and Heath called me and we immediately just started riffing ideas back and forth, what we could do, what could this, you know, what would this, this, what, what kind of trouble would this person get into? What could the story look like? We knew that Todd wanted it to be grounded. He, he had stated several times grounded, let's make it grounded. Mm-hmm. So Heath and I just took that initial concept and we just started building it out, building it out. Uh, we go in one direction and realize it didn't work and we'd break it back down to where we could work with it again, like Plato, you know, you shape it and reshape it until it comes into a form that works. Um, and then we got it to where we liked it. We sent a, we sent our like couple of page outline to Todd and he liked it. So then Heath and I wrote a comic about it. Um, so yeah, that one was one where someone brought us this idea and, uh, and we just liked it enough that we wanted to pursue it. He's, he's sister is a nurse. So it was kind of, you know, it was kind of a thing he really wanted to, to deal in that world. I've always wanted mm-hmm. to do, I love the idea of real world people in super, you know, in these strange supernatural events. So I like that part of it. Um, and yeah, we just went back and forth breaking, breaking down these, you know, this idea and, and seeing where we could take it. Um, some of those ideas we came up with were really bad. <laughs> and then, and then, we, then we just, you know, we, we just tear it back down until we can get it to a point where we can fix it.
1: How do you guys work? How do you guys work together? I mean, you said you got on calls and that's spitballing sessions. Who typically takes the first crack at it?
0: Well, what I do um, and, and I've, you know, I've co-written a lot of books. I don't like co-writing. I want to be very mm-hmm. blunt about this. And he knows this. So it's not he he he's heard me get on this soapbox a lot. I don't like co-writing. I don't uh you know, and I think I think people think it's easier. Like, you know, oh, let's co-write it. This will go a lot easier. No, it's not easier. It's more difficult. It takes more time and it frustrates the hell out of me. But <laughs> if I believe in the story, it's worth doing, right? So, you know, that's fine. Um but I've I've co-written a lot of books in my time and Co-writing i found means different things to different, different writers and different editors. In some cases, co-writing is, Hey, Cullen, you write all of it. And then we're going to put the other name on it to try to make sure it looks because this is me starting in my career. You write everything and let's put another name on it. Whatever. I don't care. There's a
1: marquee for a reason, buddy. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's, uh, we outline together and one person, you know, Cullen writes it all, (laughs) but the situations that I've, where I've really enjoyed co-writing and what I think really works has always been. We outline the book together and then we break down the pages we want to write. So what Heath and I do. I'm big on outlines. I think comics have Mm -hmm. to be outlined because they're so constrained. Every every part of the creation of a comic is about economy and what you can do on the page, how many pages you have, how many issues, you know, it's all, you got to make it fit. Um, So I outline everything uh, in grueling detail. But so Heath and I get on the phone and we outline the book, maybe not as in the, not in as much detail if I were just writing it myself, but we outline the book and it'll say, you know, on page one, Sarah goes to work and it's a normal day. And then page two, she touches a patient and absorbs their pain and realizes what they are, you know, what their, what their il- illness is. But we just outline it that way. And then we look at it and we say, okay, it's almost like a, a draft pick at that point. It's like, okay, <laughs> which, which section do you want to write? And somebody will say, I'll write pages three through six. And then you know, the, you know, I'll write pages seven through 10 and we just dole it up.
1: And nobody say, this wants this, 11 through 14. Nobody, so wants that, sad.
0: nobody wants that exposition heavy, mm. exposition heavy page, but yep. you know, we just pick the things that we think we can do the best job on those pages. We go off, we write them, we pull it into one document. And then we kind of go through it and smooth it out to make it look mm-hmm. like it was written in one pass to begin with.
1: Um, do you do that together or do you like each take a, a, a pass and then that usually blurs all the that lines? That part we
0: usually do together. I mean, okay. it, it's, it, it's been different. There have been times where it's like, I just, we don't have time. Cullen, you do it. You do it. <laughs> right. you know.
1: Once again, Cullen, can you just, just write this out? Well,
0: or, or Heath. I mean, Heath shouldered a lot yeah. of that kind of stuff on this book in particular. Um, but yeah, usually you know we break we break things down and we try to write the same amount of pages. And maybe maybe in part 1 Keith writes a few extra pages and then in part 2 I write up, you know, we try to make it up and I write more pages. <laughs> and that and that kind of situation is what I feel like is the best co-writing situation can be is where you're really yeah. shouldering the same um but even then I it's it's, it's not easy. It's co-writing is not a, is not a, it's not the dream people think it is.
1: No, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I, I talk to people like I have friends who are co, who are a co-writing team. Like that's what mm-hmm. they do. Yeah. And I'm like, God, God bless you. Um, but like, I, I, it's not that I don't like working with people, but I really, really like getting in the, you know, getting lost in that, in that time and working my way through the whole thing. And if I have yeah. to stop and go, all right, now I hop over here or I got to wait for somebody else to come back with their thing. Like I will, I would go bonkers.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've <laughs> not Heath, but I've written other projects where the, my co-writers in the house say is in my studio in another room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go write my pages. I'll be right back and I'll go and I'll write my pages and I come out and say, all right, what do you got? And like, I've written one page and I'm like, Oh mm-hmm. God, what? Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, and I think that's, you know, you know, independently, I'm sure they're phenomenal, you know, but it's like, you know, everybody works at a different rate, um, you know, and people who are really well versed in using outlines typically can produce a lot more uh camera ready work than the sort of the discovery writer who has to feel and find their way through everything. I mean, yeah. they're putting they're making a lot more work for themselves up front versus just just beat sheeting something out and going, "Okay, here's how everything's going to go. Let me fill this in and we're good to go." You know, you if it all makes sense, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's uh and again, it's, it's not that I, you know, I, I don't love the process of co-writing. Um, yeah. I'm sure some people are good at it. Uh, so yeah, that yeah. means I have to believe in the project and think it's a great book for me to really want to do it. And
1: Totally. So you believe in this (laughs) and it's going to be a great book. And I mean, the, 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 the primer is exciting. So I, you know, I, I finished it and go, yeah, I want to know what happens. Like that's, you know, so well done, Bravo. Um, Why Zoop? Like, why did you guys go with that crew? Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you know, originally copycat was with a publisher Mm -hmm. and uh, there were even like preview editions of issue one released at a convention and things like that. Um, But the way comics work, sometimes it just doesn't work out the way you think Mm -hmm. it will and things fall apart. Uh, So when it, when that happened and and Keith and I got uh, control of, of copycat back, we, we talked a little bit about where to take it and what to do. I had been talking to Jordan at Zoop, for a little while, about just trying a project together. I like crowdfunding mm-hmm. projects. I, I yeah. think I will. I will always have. Uh, at this point, I have too many in my head, too many crowdfunding projects that I want to do. So I'll always have crowdfunding projects cooking. Um, so I've been talking to Jordan about it, um, and it, it was just sort of the right timing to try it. You know, we've been we've been talking about doing something on Zoop copycat falls back into our lap as a book we could do why not try it you know see what what we do with zoop and see how it works out so it was really just the timing of it and you know i i liked i like what uh what zoop does i like that Mm -hmm. zoop is a comic book only platform it's very comic focused um so yeah i just wanted to you know i like the support that that Zoop gives the creator. They do a lot of the backend stuff on, on it as well. So yeah. uh, it was nice to, to try to, to do a book that, you know, we've got that support system built into it.
1: It's kind of cool. It's like this, it's this a la carte, you know, publishing, you know, partner, which is right. unique.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, uh, like I said, I'm, I, I can't do everything on Kickstarter. Right. Right. <laughs> it,
1: and, and doing a Kickstarter, there's so much work. Like it's a right. ridiculous amount of work. Um, not to say that running a Zoop campaign isn't a lot of work.
0: Yeah, It's all work. Yeah. Look, it's, yeah. it's going to be work, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have, I like that there are resources out there and there are tools that creators can use to you know make these comics, whether it's Kickstarter, Zoop, You know, I think that's, that's a cool, it's nice that there are different resources available.
1: Well, also you can rely, you can lean on their expertise. And I think that's a hard part about if you are kickstarting something and you don't have a lot of experience in making comic books, you can end up with, you know, a comic book that doesn't lay flat when closed.
0: Well, you know, and and that's, you know, the other thing with copycat is it you know, it came back you know, I say it fell back into our lap. At the time, if I'm, I wasn't ready to run a full campaign, all, you know, Heath and I weren't ready to run a campaign by ourselves. Zoop, mm-hmm. though, can handle, you know, can shoulder the things we can't totally shoulder at the moment.
1: Lots so. of phone calls and emails that you don't have to write. You just yeah. have to say yes or no. Yeah. It's huge.
0: So that was nice, too. That's the other reason. It was just a perfect timing, perfect situation. You know, the the, the project's ready to go. I mean... It was the book's ready. It wasn't like we were thinking, you know, let's get this done down the line. This was, it's ready to go. Let's do it.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And, and go, those, yeah. it's ready to go. Let's do it moments are great. Unless you just don't have the time, you know, unless your time is not necessarily your own. And that's where Zoop really sure. comes in and helps with that.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. And I can't, I mean, I can't wait to see the rest of it. Um, Uh And I I can see, yeah. I mean, when people hear this now, they can actually just go. The link. Oh,
0: there you are. (laughs) I think you're back.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, people at this moment. Okay. I think I'm back. I can hear you. Um, But people can go to the link in the description and they can go to zoopwasit.gg and they can find. They can yeah, find the campaign. It, they can make yeah, can it, order of the book right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can order the book. You can order the book now. The book is the book is done. Um, Zoop, I think lists the delivery date of you know like summer, but I don't see a. I mean, I and that's good. I'd rather it be listed like it's it's going to you know if you order it you're going to get it in the summer um, once printing's done. I think it'll be sooner than that, but I don't want to. You know, I, I'd rather <laughs> under. I've I've gotten into too many uh, situations in, in crowdfunding where, I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be a breeze. Book's done. Let's print it and, sip, and ship it next week. That doesn't yep. work. That doesn't yeah. work.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, I guess uh, you know, under, under promise, over serve, right?
0: Well, I'd rather people be expecting it later and they get it sooner. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice surprise.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. So what's on the what's on the schedule in the future? What is what is twenty four look like for you? Are you going back to heroes? Are you doing other shows? What projects are you working on?
0: So I'm not doing as many shows probably uh, as uh, as I you know as I was doing say five years ago. I kind of cut back and I started do well the world cut back and then I kind of, you know, I started doing a few more, but this year I'm probably not going to do as many shows. Um, I don't know yet, maybe. That depends. It's just, the the thing with conventions is they take, away. I like doing them. I love meeting people. They just take so much time, and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I have, you know, this year is a busy year for me. You know, I'm working on a novel I'm working on a feature film and I'm working on a bunch of comics. So I got to figure out how to balance all that time, juggle those. I got to juggle those projects in, in general and throwing a convention into it throws it all out of whack.
1: No, I get it. And I think a lot of people, I mean, like you said, it's great to go to shows and it's great to meet people, but unless you've designed your bit, your business, and your livelihood is supported by going to shows and selling products by hand to pay your bills. It only takes away from your ability to actually do that job. If that's not what it's, you know, yeah. structured.
0: You know, I, I love, I love shows. I really do. But they, yeah. I don't think people realize, you know, what a, that, you know, it takes a lot of time. Um, but you know, beyond that, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm working on a lot of comics. I've got a, you Know a few that have been announced. Um, I'm doing the Gotcha Man comic for uh Mad Cave, which gotcha man for people for Americans of our age is G Force or Battle of yes. the Planets,
1: Battle of the Planets.
0: Um, so uh, so I'm doing that comic for Mad Cave, which I think starts in May on Free Comic Book Day. Um, I'm doing uh, the next. Godzilla versus Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic for IDW and Boom. Uh I wrote I'm sensing that. Sensing theme here. Well, yeah, I mean it, it's it you know, look, it, that's stuff I'm a big fan of too. Uh especially especially that old Godzilla. But uh yeah, so I'm doing I'm doing that for IDW and Boom. Um I've got a number of horror comics that haven't been announced yet. I'm looking over at my board to make sure I don't mention or right, I don't miss mm-hmm. something. Um, I'm doing a book called beyond mortal. I did a book called beyond mortal that comes yeah. out in June, I think from dark horse as an original graphic novel. Um,
1: it's good. You shared it with me. That's good, it, dude.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's, well, I'm excited for beyond mortal because, uh, beyond mortal is a superhero universe. It's a, it's a new superhero universe. And then I throw these terrible, horrific events into it. Um, So I've always wanted to do a horror superhero universe. Pitched it to Marvel many times. Pitched it to DC many times. I wanted to do a superhero universe that was very horror-centric. Where the horror elements are just baked in. So Beyond Mortal comes out as an original graphic novel in June. Um, And then early 2025, a second series, a spinoff series comes out featuring a new character that is set in the Beyond Mortal universe. And then we have a third series that is another character set in the Beyond Mortal universe. So we're going to this is my way of building my own horror universe. I'm going to start to Danny Luckert. Uh, is the artist of Beyond Mortal? the artist of the new series. He's the artist of the the third series. So we're just going to start doing these Beyond Mortal books, and uh, and play in that world. I I love it. the The second series, the one that starts in twenty twenty five, is the most fun I've had writing a comic ever. I mean, hands wow. down, it's the the most fun I've ever had. And uh, and we're going to do some because. Because Beyond Mortal doesn't come out until June or July or whenever it is, and then the next series doesn't come out until next year, uh, Danny and I are going to do some cool things this year. We're going to release some free comics online that are new comics in the Beyond Mortal universe to start introducing people to the idea, to start start showing off what we've got planned. Because I think some of these characters, people are just going to flip for them. And, uh,
1: they're, they're cool, man. I, I, you know, reading what you sent me, um, uh, you know, yeah, these, these are, it, these are superheroes, but every single one of them is definitely baked in a horror theme. Like it's kind of yeah, cool. A,
0: so I think, uh, there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff I think going on We this, this graphic novel establishes the world. And then we've got, I mean, we could tell, well, Danny and I have already. <laughs> we've just made maps of. Oh, we're gonna, you know, we have so. This is this is the, this is what we can do with this world. Here are the backstories we can explore. Uh, what artists do we want to talk about doing other Beyond Mortal spinoffs? I mean, we we have high high expectations and hopes <laughs> for Beyond Mortal. Um, that's cool, man. And that's you know, and we are so excited about it. That's why we're gonna do. You know, Danny is taking valuable time out of his schedule to draw comics that we're going to release online for free oh, um, because wow. we we love the world we love these characters and we just want to do some things that you know i i i also look times are tough i don't know if you know this but times are kind of tough right now
1: um what are you running for office
0: you know, times are hard <laughs> Give me a baby to kiss. Um, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like the idea of giving some comics away. Let people read the sure. comics online for free. Some new stuff that mm-hmm. you're, that you're not going to see in the in a comic. I mean, eventually we'll put we'll put the new. Sure, you collect,
1: you and collect and it stuff. all in some. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But I just uh, I just love the idea of doing some some free comics for people. I, you know, my hope is it gets people excited for Beyond Mortal and for the series that comes next and for the series that comes next. And and hopefully, I, I would love to live in a world where I'm doing, you know, one to two Beyond Mortal books a year just mm-hmm. to to just flesh that universe out. Because there's so many things I can do in a superhero world where publishing mandates are not telling me, no, no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no don't do
1: that. Well, it's you know, listen, it's baked into the Dark Horse comic book history. Like yeah. that what you have there dovetails perfectly. I mean, from their early beginnings through their own superhero line in the in the 90s, everything really does have a horror vibe to it. Yeah. Ghost I mean, these oh, yeah. are all, yeah, you know, it's all from the same. So like it's in that same wellspring. So I think that's pretty damn cool.
0: Yeah. And it's just, you know, look, I, I'm never going to, you know, I'm not going to be that guy's like, oh, I hate superheroes. I don't. I love superheroes. I grew up <laughs> with awesome. superheroes. You know, I, yeah. I, I grew up living and breathing superheroes and now I just want to do terrible things to them. So that's what, <laughs> that's the, that's the beyond mortal universe.
1: There there is there is a twisted turn that takes place in the creator's mind over over a period of time. Yeah, it happens. It happens to every single one of them.
0: And it's you know it's tough. You know, Danny, Danny gives me so much trouble. He's like my favorite character. You kill him off, so you know, just brutally kill him (laughs) him off. And I'm like, "Eh, yeah.
1: And listen, dude, you're doing some great work, Colin. But he's putting in the hours. You know, he's bonding with these characters in a way that you're not.
0: (laughs) That's true. I mean, Brian hurt used to say the same thing to me. You know, we did the six gun together, and we introduced these these four horseman characters early on. And he designed them; they have such great designs. And I'm like, mm-hmm. let's kill it. Let's kill those guys off. And he's like, <laughs> oh, come on. You're
1: you're, you're cruel. You're cruel.
0: Yeah. I guess. I mean. um you have to have a little bit of a cruel streak, I suppose.
1: Well, I think you wouldn't be, you know, a, a master of horror if you were a little bit cruel somewhere.
0: Well, you know, and the things are these are characters I like. I don't, sure. It's not like I'm just saying let's kill them for no reason. Uh, you know, I think character death needs to be it needs to mean something. And and sometimes your favorite characters meet the worst fates.
1: Well, that's the thing. They're your—they're the, the ones you like. The ones you don't like. Guess what? They—they they, they get caught in an explosion in the background. We right. don't care. Yeah,
0: yeah. Or they just go on and lead normal lives. Right. <laughs> they, just, they just lead a normal, happy life. Um,
1: they go get a job at a marketing firm and they handle, uh, you know, yeah. career counseling.
0: Yeah, that's 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 their life. You know. Yeah. And the ones I don't like—they're the ones who get the the worst. They're
1: yeah, that's the one when the plane falls on them.
0: Yeah, they get the they get the maiming, you know, it's usually it's usually, you know, the plane will fall on them like right after their moment of happiness. They experience <laughs> true happiness sure. and joy. And oh, my gosh,
1: playing. my my long lost puppy.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Goners.
0: <laughs> yes, this is your long lost puppy. But in order to save the world, you must sacrifice.
1: It. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the it's it's for the betterment of everyone else yeah yeah i get it i get it well i hope you choose to come back to heroes it'd be good to hang out with you a little more I,
0: oh i love heroes Heroes is a great show i mean it's it's one of my favorite conventions to go to i i mean i i guess i need to send some emails my i mean it's on my calendar that i'm going to do heroes <laughs> i guess i just need to make sure i'm actually going to do it. i think i think
1: they're very, i think they haven't really fired up their uh their engines yet on that one. So right, they're right. focused on getting the mini con taken care of.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's such a good show. I mean, there's, yeah. Here's the one I love. There's an, you know, I, I love planet comic con in Kansas city has a very heroes vibe to me in a lot cool. of ways. Um, so I love, that's another one that I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, uh, not, not as many conventions this and events this year.
1: Well, if you're writing a novel, as yeah. I know, There's a lot of hours necessary to sit there and make it work.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's uh and, and you have to switch gears. There's, there's Mm -hmm. the problem. There's the thing. There's my, that's the big problem with writing prose versus comics is the switching of the gears is not just, yeah. It is so hard. Yeah. It's a grind, the the switching of the gears is a grinding switch of the gears. It's,
1: it's, (laughs) it's, yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> the, there's no clutch no. you're just jamming it in going okay now it's time to get into this mode
0: yeah yeah i wish that would be the great it, it would be such a nice thing if i could just switch without just fluidly move from one to the next no
1: dude i, tr- I try i try i sit and i write prose in the morning half and i tell myself you know and i've worked on some comic projects and i'm like oh you know what i'm gonna do got the afternoon free i'll go have lunch And then I'll go sit down. I'll go to the coffee shop. I'll write a comic at the coffee shop, you know? Sure. And I just sit there and I'm just I'm like, because it's so, it's so, it's not the same brain. It's a very different chunk of your brain.
0: Yeah. No, it is. I end up outlining.
1: I sit there and outline the comic book over and over again.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, my current plan is a couple of days a week or comics and a couple of days a week or prose. And then Mm. there's one day of, uh marketing work and you know non writing meetings yeah that kind of stuff so <laughs> yeah
1: it's it's tough man i mean the 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 way to the way to work and balance the stuff when you're fortunate enough to be able to do it is it's 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 work it's just straight yep. up work and it's not and it's not anything else but that
0: yeah i mean it's i mean let's face it it's work i mean yes I make, I write comics for a living though, or sure. story, tell stories for a living. It's not a bad, it's, there are much worse jobs to have, but it is work.
1: But it's, but the thing is that like you were saying something at the beginning and it, it It, dawned, it, it sort of struck me about one thing that always, you know, annoys me. You know, you, you were talking about sort of like being a, prof- a pro and doing the work. And it, you know, the thing is like, listen, to be a pro, you can't wait for inspiration to strike. No. You have to be a hunter and go out there and get it and, you know, and be able to wrangle it at any moment. There is no there is no just like, OK, well, I'll just sit around and I'll just like I'll doodle and then eventually I'll draw the page. I'm like, wh- the the clock's running. The day is happening. Like, and, and if you're like, oh, I work at night. I mean, like, then you're starting your day at 11. Like, I'm like, you gotta, you know, it's, it's tough. And I, you know, it sounds mean and cruel and unfeeling to say that stuff, but the people who hire us don't care. Oh yeah. They, they need it done. Yeah. <laughs> they need it done. Yeah. Yep.
0: Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, you good? Yeah. I was going to ask you all sorts of stuff about stuff that any good books or uh, movies you've seen, but like we we uh, we've come to the end.
0: This is it. This is the end. The end of the line. That terrible thing I've known was looming ahead. The end.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's great actually spending a little more time talking with you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was. Uh, it was fun. Um, yeah. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, well, um, and once again, go to Zoop and find Copycat if you're interested in reading Cullen's latest.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you.